Well, this evening we're going to start a November and December Wednesday study in the book of 2 Peter. And if you were with us as we walked through the book of 1 Peter, we remember that we liked Peter because he was a relatable guy. Anybody who says, you know who's confusing? Paul's confusing. That's a guy that I can get along with. And we'll get to that in 2 Peter. He says, you know, Paul says a lot of stuff, and some of it's hard to understand. And I'm like, oh, I get that. That's okay. Patrick can teach Paul. I'll talk about Peter. <laughs> It'll work out better for everyone. But the whole book of 1 Peter was about living in the midst of a broken world, a world that wasn't made for us in a world where we should not be finding our identity. Yes, this is where we are, but it's not where we're from. It's not where we will be from. This is just a blip on the radar. This is a drop in the bucket of our eternity. We are pilgrims. We are sojourners passing through this earth as part of our way to our eternal reality alongside God because of the sacrifice that Jesus paid for us. And that should shape our perspective. It should shape how we interact with a number of our relationships around us, as well as the things that we find important or rather trivial. And I always imagined Peter as a big, strong guy. He was a fisherman. He was strong. I think he would be like a fireman. I don't know if they did like fishermen's calendars back in the day, <laughs> but Peter may have been a candidate for that. I'll give you a second to wipe that from your brains so we can continue to do edifying things. Throughout the course of his two letters, Peter, this big, strong, tough guy, one of his favorite words turns out to be precious. Precious. It's an interesting word for a big guy to use. And I thought it would be interesting as we go into our look at 2 Peter to review the six things that he already called out as precious in his first epistle. In 1 Peter 1, verse 7, our genuine faith is precious. 119, the blood of Christ is precious. 1 Peter 2, verse 4, us in God's eyes are precious. Chapter 2, verse 6, Jesus in God's eyes, precious. Chapter 2, verse 7, Jesus in our eyes, precious. In chapter 3, verse 4, incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, something that is not concerned about this material existence something that is inside of us, untainted, protected, set aside from the damaging effects of this world, precious. And in our study tonight, we'll find the seventh and final thing 
that Peter calls precious. And that's the promises of God. The promises of God are precious. But this second letter was written after his first. His first epistle written to believers to encourage them amidst persecution. This letter, most likely written very close to 67 or 68 AD, was very near Peter's death. He admits even in this text, I'm close to death. And this is what I want to say. And for me, that really characterizes the heart of so much of what he says. You imagine sitting down with your grandfather, knowing it might be the last time that you have an opportunity to talk. He's probably not going to talk about the World Series. Or if he does, it's just going to be an entryway into the conversation he really wants to have. He's going to make sure he distills down the most important things that he really wants you to remember when you think of him to send you with him. But Peter He almost does more than that because he was such a great leader in the early church that I almost look at this letter as the CEO of a company that was there from from the ground up. And as an apostle, he was. He saw the church birthed in the book of Acts. He was there. He was doing some sweet work, flaming tongues and everything. And now he knows his time is about to come to a close. And like every great leader, he wants to cast vision. He wants to get everyone on the same page that, hey, this is the essence of what we're doing. And when I'm not here, when I'm gone, don't deviate from this essence. This is what we are. This is how we do it. This is what we don't do, and this is where we're going. And we see that progression from chapter 1 to chapter 3. So tonight in verses 1 through 4, I think is a beautiful little picture of Peter's version of this is what it means to live the Christian life. In just four verses, this is what it is. So we'll jump right in. You didn't have to wait that long. They could have fact-checked me earlier. If you need a Bible, Bud has Bibles. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. It's wordy, but it's thick. So let's go through it a little slower. Right there as he introduces himself. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. 
it's not just an introductory statement. There's a lot there that this older man, Peter, is trying to convey. Christ gave him the name Peter, but he calls himself Simon Peter, as though not to forget that, you know, sometimes he can be more like the old Simon than the new Peter. In the New Testament, after he denied Christ, we see in John 21 that Jesus, after referring to him as Peter, started calling him Simon again until he was restored. We often talk about, you know, the old man, the old Rob. The old Rob and the new Rob have the same name. But with Peter, the old Peter was Simon. The new Peter was Peter. But he can sit there and in humility and say, Simon Peter. And he doesn't come straight out and say, Apostle, great and mighty founder, pillar of the church. What does he say? Bondservant. He lists that first because that's what's most important. I don't walk around saying, I'm Rob Young pastor and father. I'm just, I'm just Rob. Our identity always has to work down from our relationship with Jesus. And that's what he's saying, even though he's not using lots of words to say it at this point. But when we stop and we say, hey, who am I? Our first answer needs to be a child of God. When we stop and lay out our priorities and plan our day and apportion our finances, we've got to think first of the ministry we have as a worshiper, as a child of God. And then we're husbands and wives and we're brothers and sisters, parents, brothers and sisters in Christ to one another employees, stewards. Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Who's he writing to? To those who have obtained like precious faith with us. Isn't that weird to think that the faith that the apostle Peter and the apostle Paul had is the same faith that we have? That's the statement that, that he makes. Often we see religious leaders almost carry themselves in a way that's so intimidating that they don't have to say or do anything, but we have this perspective that they're, they're on another level. Like, well, they, I mean, they do this professionally. That's why, you know, it's like God and them and then me. That's, that's not Peter. Is hey, I'm writing to you who has the same faith that I do. And why do we have that faith? Why is that faith available? But by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, the original language makes it very clear that he is saying Jesus Christ is God. We often see that attacked by many of the cults today and those that would take away from the statements that Jesus made claiming to be God. So it's important to tuck those things away. This very clearly in the Greek, the apostle Peter saying, God is Jesus. Jesus claimed 
to be God, and I recognize him as such. But the thing about that righteousness, that righteousness has been imputed to us. So not only here does Peter say, well, yeah, we've obtained this like precious faith, but with that, we have been imputed the same righteousness, Christ's righteousness. Because we all know how broken and how messed up we are. We all know how far that we are from where we could be. Praise God for the gap between where we started and where we are now. And I pray that that gap gets bigger and bigger every day. And that's much of what Peter is going to cover as he talks about the Christian life, the process of sanctification. But it's so easy to get distracted from our walk by selling short the work that Christ did. Because Christ went to the cross to not only take care of guilt, but also shame. And we can spend so much time battling those wars, fighting those battles that have already been won on the cross as we were imputed, given Christ's righteousness before God. How many times are we afraid to go to God? We don't ever read Peter's, I mean, maybe we do a little bit with Peter because he's more relatable and he denied Jesus and, and, and he was afraid to, you know, Jesus looked at him after he denied him and, you know, he wanted to walk away. We can feel like that with God all the time. But that's not how God sees us. He looks at us and he sees Christ's righteousness. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, well, I'm about action steps. I like grace. I like peace. And it says, in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. So let's explore that a little bit. In the knowledge, all right? If I study the Bible enough, if I know enough, about God, then things will turn around. And that's the difference between me and the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter and, and all the heroes of my faith. I, I lack knowledge, right? I don't think so. Knowledge is good, but the knowledge that's being pointed to here, during this time in church history, one of the groups that often came against the early church was the Gnostics. Gnostics came from the term gnosis, which is knowledge. And these were a group of believers that claimed to have special knowledge. Like we might look at someone who is excellent at a thing like, oh, they must know something that I don't. You know, we read about the, the faith of David, and we're like, ah, oh, he had something that I didn't. We're, we can't be playing with the same deck of cards. You're right, you're not playing with the same deck of cards. You have the Holy Spirit, and he didn't. 
you have the advantage. But we think we're tempted to believe that there's an easier answer. But the term that's used here for knowledge is epignosis, which is full knowledge. And the connotation there is it's an intimate and personal relationship. And a lot of times our flesh doesn't like that. You know, looking around the room, I see a room full of believers, and I know that we've all experienced those close times of communion with the Lord, but there's a lot of times where we're really frustrated and can be agitated by the fact that we wish we could interact with the, the Lord in the same way that we would our spouse or our children or our dog. <laughs> when I come home, my, my dog lick me in the face. I know he loves me. Sometimes when I come home, I'm not so sure Jesus loves me. <laughs> but that is how we are going to multiply the grace and the peace afforded to us by our relationship with Jesus is by growing in knowledge of him. Not head knowledge, but intimate, personal relationship knowledge. And it says, furthermore, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All right. Grace, peace, all things that pertain to life and godliness. That is what I signed up for. That is what I wanted in my goodie bag when I humbled myself and went to the cross. Divine power. There's three words that the Greeks would use for power. And I'm not going to mispronounce any other Greek words for you today. There's one more I might. But the three words, one refers to the source of power. The source of power. Think of it like a battery. One refers to the, the conduit or the, the switch of power. And the third refers to the result. So if you imagine you have a source of power that... There's no terrible example because I'm trying to compare God to a light bulb and it just quite doesn't fit. If we plug a vacuum into the wall, all the vacuums have a switch. And Bud will tell you that the particular vacuums that we have here at church, their switches are really good at going bad. So every couple months, somebody comes to me and they plug the vacuum in. I say, hey, could you please vacuum in the sanctuary? He no much. And then they come back and they say, this vacuum doesn't work. Okay. Well, the lights are on in the church, so we know the power's coming out of the wall. And then I say, bud, please help. And he goes and he unscrews the handle and he finds that the switch has been disconnected. So he reconnects the switch. You flip it on. That's the second word for power. The first word for power is coming out of the wall. 
The second word for power is the switch. And the third word for power is the action that results in debris getting sucked up off the floor. And when we take all of those together, the source of power, the conduit of power, and the effect of power, when all those are together under the same umbrella, that's what it looks like to operate under God's authority. When all three of those things are connected and flowing. And there are often times that it's at different transitions that we can question the reality that Peter puts forward today. Okay, I am very convinced that God is God and he can do everything he wants. So why am I not seeing the debris on the floor of my life get sucked up? Sometimes it's a switch problem. Sometimes you're not using a vacuum, you're using a leaf blower because that's the tool that God gave you. And if you want it to be sucked up, he wants it. The Lord knows. And again, Peter goes back to this phrase. His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him who has called us to glory and virtue. So, the source of power, there in verse 3, is God's divine power. I can't explain that more than I already have. It's power that comes from God. It is much beyond me. You think of a thing that God can do, that would fall under the category of divine power. You think of a thing that God can't do, well, I don't know that you can think of a thing that God can't do, divine power. How do we get God's divine power to filter through our lives as believers. Well, Peter says here, it's through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Now, we know that God's primarily, primary means of revelation is through his word. So there's an element of knowledge that needs to come. There's an element of relationship, of personal intimacy with the Lord that's going to come through his word. But I can give anybody the Bible and they can read it front to back a hundred times and that's not necessarily going to put divine power in their life because that's head knowledge. The, the knowledge here is a supernatural knowledge. It's a knowledge that is only going to be revealed and applied through the Holy Spirit. It's, I mean, Paul would put it this way, as he does in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. There's a difference between a head knowledge and a practical knowledge. Maybe if any of you have driven a really old, fussy car for a long time, you are not a mechanic, right? A mechanic might have all the head knowledge about that car. But you know when the car is fighting back, 
you, you know, well, you just got to like, just, just like bump the gear shift a little that way and it'll always work. Or, well, you got to turn the cold to hot if you want cold and the hot to cold. Because you have a relationship. You have a relationship. And so often the knowledge that God gives us is not as detailed as we need it. Praise God that he does give us certain black and whites. It's not, <laughs> and Dakota say amen. Dakota's a black and white kind of guy. He likes yes and no. But we're so much more often given guidelines and goalposts rather than step-by-step instructions. Because if we had step-by-step instructions, we, we would need no relationship. We would just do what we're told. And that's not what God wanted. God didn't want a bunch of robots. He could give us the right answer, I promise. He could have written it down. He could send it to your bedside table every morning. I bet God could even text it to you. But, but, he, but he doesn't. Because he wants to have the conversation. I have young children. And I could tell them everything that they are supposed to do all the time. But that would not be a good relationship. I don't want to be a dictator. <laughs> I don't want them to always be dependent on me telling them what to do. I want to raise them up to do m more than I, I mean, okay, the analogy is breaking down, but that's because I'm not God, so the analogy was supposed to break down. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Let's fast forward to what I'm trying to say. We keep reading, if, if, if knowledge of him is the switch, and we know that that knowledge is an intimate and personal relationship kind of knowledge, not a 101 things you should know about God kind of knowledge. It says, by which, by which we have been given exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. There are, by some counts, over 30,000 promises in Scripture. And a lot of times people get frustrated when they feel like a promise that God has clearly made is not being realized in their life. But that's because they're leaning on that head knowledge and not a relational knowledge. Because we know that the Lord will fulfill the desires of our heart. Because he says so. But we also know that sometimes the desires of our heart 
need to be conformed by that personal and intimate relationship with the Lord before he knows best to fill them. And that's what I think is beautiful when Peter says that through these you may be partakers of divine nature. The word partakers there, here in Calvary, we use the word koinonia a lot for our fellowship spaces or for uh, a time of hanging out to share, to partner with. And that's the relationship that God wants with us. When, when Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I think we have a tendency to think of that is just like a reset button. That we came to we 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 came to we came to the cross. We accepted the sacrifice that Jesus made, and God was like, "Okay, let's pick up and go forward from here." But that's that's completely selling it short. Because the reality is, at our salvation, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so God has partnered with us and invited us to partner with him through an intimate and personal relationship. And throughout that exchange, he says, I will avail to you all of my promises. You have escaped the destruction of the, you have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, and in me you will find all things that pertain to life and godliness. It's not, I mean, it really is a new nature that we would partner with the Lord. And we also see in 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all, believers, with unveiled face, Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And that's the picture that Peter lays out in these first four verses. As he, he writes to, to remind those that he loves, those in the church, of what they already know. He says, guys, we got to get this straight first. That we are to have a personal, intimate, growing relationship with God through Jesus. And out of that will spring everything. That's the vision. That's everything in a nutshell.
And as we continue to unpack 2 Peter, he's going to talk about what are some of the ways we're going to do that. How can we know? How can we check? What are we not going to do? And as we continue to play the tape forward, what is there to look forward to? But for a guy that criticizes, not criticizes, but for a guy that calls out Paul in the third chapter for saying things in a way that aren't always easy to understand, after spending a lot of time with these four verses, I was like, why didn't you just say what you were saying? Because it's so thick. So if I could, I'd, I'd like to paraphrase how, how I would read it naturally. Hey, guys. <laughs> it's me, Simon Peter. I'm Jesus' slave, even though he put me in a position of authority. And I just wanted to write to you guys who have the exact same faith that I do. We share Jesus' righteousness. I hope the grace and peace in your life just takes off as you grow in your intimate personal relationship with God and Jesus. And that through that relationship, all the power and resources that he has to offer will guide you in everything that pertains to your life and living in a godly way. And that as you continue to invest in the relationship that was birthed out of Jesus' glory and goodness, that you'll come to realize the many great and precious promises he has for you. And that as you do that, you become more and more like him. It's like a husband and wife. The more time you spend together, the more you seem to be the same. Because he's won you out of a broken world. And it's incredible that we get to do that. incredible. Father God, it is almost unfathomable to think of the plans that you would have for us if you had our unobstructed cooperation to know that Peter or Paul or Billy Graham or our grandfather whoever we look to in the faith that just seems like a hero that they've been extended all the same opportunities that we have Lord, those opportunities might look different for different people. You don't want us all to be Billy Graham. 
You don't want us all to father nations. Sometimes you just want us to be fathers and mothers, workers, teachers, contractors. But Lord, whatever you've called us to, we pray that through your spirit and through the instruction of your word that we wouldn't be a limiting factor in what you want to do. That we would open ourselves up to the sanctification process, the becoming more and more like your son that you've invited us into. Thank you, God, so much that you would choose and then make every allowance for us as your partners. We praise you for this. Amen.